It's now time for On the Line with Cheryl Wilkerson. The conversation will range from local dialogue to international. This show is meant to enlighten, inform, and to inspire. On the Line with Cheryl Wilkerson begins now. Welcome to On the Line. Today's show is super special. My guests today are mighty men and they are doing mighty things. The Fresh Start Morning Show. Well, yeah, you can catch us right here on 91.1 weekday mornings. Recently, we had this dynamic interview with the grandson of Nelson Mandela and Daba Mandela. Fascinating, I tell you. But we get things started off this Sunday morning with a young man. He's involved with the Virginia Opera production of Sanctuary Road. Adam Richardson joins us. He is the baritone soloist. Now, Sanctuary Road, it's based on the writings of abolitionist William Still. He was a conductor of the Underground Railroad. So welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you, Aunt Cheryl. I'm happy to be here. Nephew Adam, that's right. So (laughs) we have a lot to talk about because what you are doing and this whole production is amazing. We have had some, we had the director and composer and some other people on our morning show during the last two weeks talking about this production. And we actually had listeners calling in. Some of them won tickets to the production. They were talking about how excited they were. They were talking about how they loved history and just got so excited. Some called and said, I want to go. I've never been to the opera. What do I wear? Because I want to go because they got so excited listening to, uh, you know, this project. So how did you get involved? Oh, last spring, um, the Virginia Opera Artistic Director, Adam Turner, reached out to my agent and um, asked if I was available. And before I could even get to the end of the email, I said yes. Um, I think, you know, what attracted me to this piece is the fact that I could perform here in my hometown. I, you know, I am a 757 born and raised boy. And um, you know, I travel so often for my job that family and friends don't often get to see projects that I'm on. Mm-hmm. So the fact that form for a hometown crowd is is just really special, and um, I'm happy to be back because um, the first professional show I ever did was at the Virginia Opera when I was, I think, 16 or so. Wow. So you just gave me goosebumps when you said they called and asked, were you available? That gave me goosebumps <laughs> because that means that you are one of those people that, yeah, you still audition and everything, but you are known out there and people know your work and people know your talent and they are calling for you. That is absolutely awesome. Well, it's nice to have the phone ring occasionally and me not have to audition people. (laughs) As you told me one time, Aunt Cheryl, there are a lot of beautiful voices out there. I was like, okay. It's true. It's true. (laughs) But tell tell everybody your background as far as how you got to where you are today. Of course. Um, Yes, I'm from the area. I grew up in Smithfield, Virginia. I am a product of Smithfield High School in Alawite County and the Governor's School for the Arts in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And I just sang all my life, as you know. And I went to college at Carnegie Mellon University, where I got my BFA in music in 2009. And then I went to New York and got my master's degree in music from the Juilliard School in 2011. And I've been 
on this crazy train of the performing arts ever since. Why Carnegie Mellon? When I was applying to colleges, or when I was in high school, rather, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do music full-time, and I thought Carnegie Mellon would be a good program where um, most people that want to go into music go to what they're called conservatories, where you are only focused on your discipline. And I, I didn't want to do that because I was really into history, and I thought, well, if I get into that school and I don't want to do music anymore, it would be a really great program for me to transition into something else. And I quickly learned that there was no time for anything else besides, <laughs> besides music. And, um, of course, I, I, I loved it and I didn't want to do anything else anyway. So that's why I, went, I applied to Carnegie Mellon and ultimately went there. And in your profession, do you automatically go and get a master's? When I graduated way back younger in mass comm, you didn't necessarily need to go right away and get your master's, whereas my good friend, she was a social worker, she had to go get her master's. Was it imperative that you do further education after you finished Carnegie Mellon? Yeah, it is, I would say, common practice for generally any musician, singer, or instrumentalist to get a master's, um, particularly to a singer if you're in the classical field like I am, uh, you're considered young. You know, when you graduate college, you're roughly around 21, 22, and that's considered young in my field. And so there's just a little more baking and cooking that one can do to really, quote-unquote, master their instrument. And so I would say a lot of singers, these days do get a master's of music. It is pretty common practice. So where have you been and where have you performed? What parts of the world? What were your favorite parts? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say the last five years, my career has taken me to some amazing places. Um, and, and even before the last five years, but I've been to Spain. I've been to France, Ireland, Germany, uh, Israel. I've been all across the United States. States, Canada. Um, just last year, say I was in Italy for the second time, which I, or no, excuse me, third time, which I enjoyed. And so um, I was trying to think, what's my favorite place? Oh, Amsterdam, I think is my favorite city that I've been to in my travels. I just, I love the people there. I love the walking slash bike culture that they have there. Mm-hmm. Um, the food is great. Um, but I, yeah, there's, and there's so many other places I would hopefully, um, get to go in the upcoming years. But I think, um, especially when I go to Europe, I always feel very happy when I can get a job over there. Wonderful. Tell us about the production, which by the way, you will be on stage later this afternoon, two thirty at the Harrison Opera House. Tell yes. us about this project, uh, Sanctuary Road. Yeah, so Sanctuary Road is a beautiful piece written by Paul Morvick and um, librettist Mark Campbell. And as you said, it's based um, on the writings of William Still, who was a one of the conductors for the Underground Railroad. And so in this piece, it takes certain stories from his writings and has set it to music. So um, Damien Jeter, who was also a Virginia native, he's from and he's also an ODU grad, is playing William Still. And then there are four soloists. I'm the baritone soloist. And we are inhabiting certain enslaved people, and we're telling our stories um, through his words. And we, we're telling different stories um, 
from Clarissa Davis, who is from Portsmouth, and Henry Box Brown, who I play, who fled from Richmond. So there's yes. a lot of Virginia history that's tied into this piece as well. It is so exciting. It gives me goosebumps. And you will get on stage and you'll sing in different languages and I have no idea what you're singing, but it gives, it soothes me. It gives me peace or whatever. But you also play these roles. You get involved with these projects that are telling our history. Is that important to you? It is. It's been very interesting. I think if you look at my body of work, especially in the past, I would say five years, a lot of the things that I've been asked to do have been very, uh, African-American focus. Such as what? Uh, uh, we Shall Not Be Moved, which you saw in mm-hmm. Philadelphia in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, story of the move um, bombing that happened in 1985. And I've also done a world premiere of Factotum by actually two of my high school friends, um, Will Liverman and King Rico, um, telling a story, uh, a made-up story, of the Black experience set in Chicago. I did that mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also done Malcolm X uh, a few times as Malcolm X and also at various other uh, companies as well. So I've been telling a lot of uh, our stories. And it's you know really nice because I think it brings a different type of audience to the opera yes. than the standard and traditional work that maybe people in the black community don't resonate as well with. And so Mm -hmm. doing things where people can see themselves on stage and identify with the characters on stage, I think is very important to me and for me. I do want people to go to the virginiaopera.org website because they have a special um, pay-as-you-can, I think they call it, for these performances. Mm -hmm. Say it again, Adam. Pay what you wish. Pay what you wish. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, we had people calling us saying, I've never been. I want to take my children. I want to take my neighbor's children. But we don't even know how to dress for the opera. And and the answer we were told is dress in how you are comfortable, you know, and people will be dressed in a variety of, of, of clothing. But come as you as you as you are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, come as comfortable as you want to be. I mean, I. You tell us that you're comfortable, and I'm wearing a three-piece suit um, <laughs> on stage. You know my my costumes, but um, yeah, please come come out because at the end of the day, we want butts and seats, and we would hate for people to feel like uh, clothing is a barrier right. to enter that space. Adam, we are extremely proud of you, young man. One of my greatest joys in life, <laughs> one of my greatest joys in life is following my nieces and nephews around to wherever they are, whatever they're doing. It just it just makes my heart happy. One of them said to me, are you coming to so-and-so? And I was like, I don't know. Well, you know you're expected. That's your job. It's <laughs> like, you don't really think that is my job, don't you? But it gives me joy and peace. And like I said, I'm very, very proud of you. So I'm going to see you in just a couple of hours, and we're going to fill those seats. And thank you for joining us this morning. Of course. May I do one more plug while I'm on the air? Absolutely. If you can't come to uh, Sanctuary Road, there are also other performances this upcoming week. There are two in Norfolk of uh, Damien Jeter, who, again, is playing William Still. He's a composer for a song cycle called Cotton. 
mm-hmm. and it is starring Ticia Quartang, mezzo-soprano, and myself. And the performances will be at, I believe, St. Mary's Basilica in Norfolk oh, yeah. on Tuesday. And also there's one at um, ODU at Dean Fine Arts on Wednesday. And I believe 7 or 7.30, I can't remember. But mm-hmm. they're on the virginia.org website, that information. And also, if you cannot catch Sanctuary Road here in Norfolk, you can travel to Richmond. It will be in Richmond Friday, February the 9th. Or Sunday, February the 11th. Uh, I think that's at Dominion Energy Center. So there are chances for you to go out and see this great production and to tell my nephew how wonderful he is because he is. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Don't forget to catch today's performance. That's at 2.30 p.m. at the Harrison Opera House. Or you can catch the show in Richmond. That's February the 9th or the 11th. And if you need any more info, you can go to virginiaopera.org. Next, as promised, the morning show spoke with the grandson of Nelson Mandela. His name is Ndaba Mandela. All right, so today we welcome to the Fresh Start Morning Show, Mr. Ndaba Mandela. He is the grandson of Nelson Mandela. We want to thank Dr. Khadija Miller, the dean of the RCN Honors College here at Norfolk State, for securing this interview for us. Yes. Mr. Ndaba Mandela is, like JJ said, the grandson of Nelson Mandela and the co-founder and chairman of Africa Rising Foundation. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you today? We are good. We're right. trying to keep warm. All right. In the <laughs> New York weather. Yes. So in the studio this morning is DJ B, Cheryl Wilkerson, Maynard Scales, JJ Mayo, and myself, Naya Ward. So in preparing for this interview, I read that you traveled the world talking passionately about Africa. So please speak as to why you are so passionate about Africa and spreading the word about Africa. I'm so passionate about Africa because you see the what is perpetuated in the mainstream media is that Africa is a place of war, poverty, disease, and dictators. And the only nice thing that you, you want to go and do in Africa is go on a safari. And we are tired of this misconception. We want people to understand that Africa is a place to some of the most beautiful, amazing uh, territories you'll ever see in your life. I mean, we have amazing islands on the east coast as well as west coast of Africa. On the east coast, you have places like Mauritius. You have Zanzibar. On the west coast, you have people, places like the Seychelles. I mean, you have places more beautiful than Hawaii. I mean, every single brand today, whether it's H&M, whether it's Louis Vuitton, whether it's Zara, all getting the inspiration to design their garments from the country of Africa, whether they're zebra, whether they're leopard. I mean, Africa is just all over. People just don't know it. Mr. Mandela, this is Maynard. Uh, Talk that talk, first off. I like that. Uh, I think the other piece that's critical and important about the continent of Africa, not just fashion, but Africa, Africa is the home to the greatest riches that the earth knows, whether it's gold, diamond, uh, oil, uh, and other things. How is it that um, so much of the world takes from Africa, but so much of the world is ignorant about the continent? The people are ignorant because of what is being maintained in the media. You see what I just described. They just want people to see Africa as being poor, which is not. It's actually the richest continent in the world. Every single piece of material that is used for your cell phone, for your smart TV, has been taken from the continent of Africa. You see, what they do, they make sure that we in Africa are fighting, are in civil war, are constantly at loggerheads with each other, so that they can continue mining those resources 
for next to nothing. You see, you go to French, uh, col- former colonized countries, they don't have their own banks. They don't have their own hospitals. Everything is controlled by, by France, you know? Mm-hmm. And you go, to, you go to Congo, the richest country in the world, right? This is where King Leopold once, you know, called it his backyard mm-hmm. and actually annihilated about 75% of the population purely because they want to continue taking those resources without actually paying a fair price for it. They want to basically get all those resources for next to nothing for free and keep raping our people. And our people are still fighting. It's not like Africans are not fighting. It's not like we're, we're not against it. But every time we have a leader that wants to do right for his people, what do they do? They assassinate him. They get rid of him one way or another. You know, uh, I think a lot of times uh, Americans, uh, African-Americans, blacks in America, uh, think of uh, racism or white supremacy or these issues as an American uh, problem. Uh, You being the grandson of uh, Nelson Mandela, a man who served 27 years in prison for fighting for justice. Yes. Uh, You, uh, as a freedom fighter and activist yourself, as you mentioned France and uh, the rape of uh, African nations by the the country of France. Belgium, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let us just just say for a second, white supremacy, uh, racism, uh, and oppression of African, of the African diaspora is a world problem. It's not American. That's where, you know, yes. you being, you know, 10 years, say, for instance, my junior, but us being black men, that's a, something that we have in common. No matter when we walk upright on the face of the planet, there's somebody who is out here preying on our downfall. That's correct, my brother. That's correct. You see, they cannot fathom the talent that we have. They cannot believe that this black nation, this black continent, has so much richness under the earth, you know? And it's not just, like you said, brother, an American problem. You have Chinese on the continent doing the same thing, you know, basically excavating without any permits, mining without any permits. Um, They even, you know, trick the people by, they, 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 they fix the scales. You know, they fix the scale so that people are still not getting fair value. You know, you spend four or five hours underground mining. You collect a huge pile. You know, you're hoping that you're going to get 10, maybe 15 kilograms. You go to the scale, and, and the scale says it's only 11 kilograms. So, again, the Chinese are also raping the continent, you know, because they need resources to grow their, their massive population. So this is a westernized world that has tried to entrench their western values onto the rest of the world, but by stealing, by pillaging, by raping other people because they are so afraid of what they don't know, instead of them trying to work with us and trying to understand us to build a stronger world so that we don't have young people, you know, going and risking their families' lives crossing the Mediterranean Ocean from Mali all the way to get into, you know, uh, France or to get into Spain, uh, etc., etc. But they'd rather steal so that we don't have anything. So how can you blame immigrants from trying to get into America, trying to get into Europe, when you have stolen everything from their country? Mm. Mr. Mandela, this is Cheryl. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. What is the African's concept of black Americans? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's slightly different, but majority of South Africans, for example, see black Americans as people who have been liberated, people who have really what they say, what they can say, we have arrived, right? 
Mm-hmm. You know, they see movie stars, they see sportsmen who are earning huge amounts of money, but they don't understand that's only the minority of the population of black Americans in, 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 in America. So we have a very Hollywood-esque sort of vibe about black Americans. They don't know the truth about black Americans, that we are fighting the same fight we are fighting all over the world. You know, um, so as a as a young man, you were 12 or 13 when you went to live with your grandfather. Um, yes. What, he, he, that obviously, he was obviously full of um, riches, of uh, wisdom and experience. Um, yes, and sir. poured into you uh, the passion that we hear. What uh, one thing do you take away more than anything and say, you know, my grandfather taught me this. This is what raised me into manhood because of this thing he, he taught me. Well, there's two main things that really that really come out when I talk about my grandfather, the lessons that he, he taught me. The one is the lesson about love, loving yourself, loving each other. He said, if a person can be taught to hate, then a person can be taught to love because love comes much more natural to the human condition than its opposite. And therefore, we hope that people do not make choices out of fear, but make choices out of hope. And the second thing that my grandfather taught me when I was actually 13 years old, we were sitting at dinner table, and he said to me, Ndaba, you're my grandson. Therefore, people will look at you as a leader. Therefore, you need to get the best marks in class. And I was like, whoa, 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 granddad, the pressure, the pressure. But, you know, I only realized much later in life that our parents and our loved ones put pressure on us, not because they want us to fail, but because they can see and understand that we can actually achieve much more than we think we can achieve. We are much more powerful than we can imagine. And so they want to, you know, a pressure, you know, put pressure on us, because how is the diamond created at the end of the day is through the exertion of pressure. They want us to shine. They want us to become diamonds. And so they're trying to encourage us to become better, to do more, because we are the leaders, the young people today are the leaders of today. You know, Mr. Mandela, again, this Maynard, um, you, you're essentially, you know, for you know us in, in the music industry, if you will, you're on tour and you're you're speaking around the country, um, yes, in, in many places. What message and, and what are the messages that you bring uh, to um, to America, to, to all audiences, white, black, you know? Whatever the American audience, what are you, what are you here to, to teach us? Well, you know, I, I mainly speak to the youth, but this message is not just for the youth. This is for everybody. Mm-hmm. To dream, and I say to everybody, I say you have to dream so big that your dreams scare you. If your dreams don't scare you, then you are not dreaming big enough. You know, Martin Luther King had a dream. We're talking about Martin Luther King Day. You know. Rosa Parks had a dream. Nelson Mandela had a dream. Even JFK had a dream to create a world where people come together and understand that as humanity, we share the same fate. So why are we fighting? Because humanity shares 99% of its DNA together. The only thing that separates is our skin color, which is less than 1% difference between black and white, and yet we are going to go and fight over the 0.01% and not celebrate our 99% togetherness and unity that we have come on it's ridiculous 
If you're uh, just tuning in, we're listening to um, uh, Mr. Indaba Mandela. He is the grandson of one of the world's greatest citizens, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela, who was a uh, African apartheid, anti-apartheid activist and politician and the first president of South Africa. Uh, Mr. Mandela, uh, people want to know more about the work that you do. How can we discover more? How can we learn more and, uh, and be a part of uh, the, the change that you seek? Yes, sir. So I have recently registered an organization here in America called the Mandela Institute for Humanity. And our goal is to really activate leadership in young people. We have designed a leadership program called the Mandela Leadership Program, where I have partnered with my sister, Ilyasa Shabazz, which is Malcolm X's daughter. We have also partnered with Bernice King, which is Martin Luther King's daughter, where we will be taking young people who are entrepreneurs and aspiring leaders, community leaders, on a course, on a two-part course, where the first part, they will be learning uh, over four weeks the values of Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'll be sharing some of the teachings that he taught me, because I also wrote a book called Going to the Mountain, Life Lessons for My Grandfather, uh, Nelson Mandela, which has 11 life lessons in it. So those will also be taught. So that, it's talking about a four to six week uh, virtual course together with my two sisters that I've mentioned from Malcolm X and, 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 and the pastor, Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And then from there, after the six week course, virtually, then they get to travel to South Africa for mm-hmm. a period of two weeks where they walk in the footsteps of Nelson Mandela. So in Johannesburg, where he became a lawyer and opened up the first black law firm in South Africa, which was called the Mandela and Tambo Lawyers. And then we go to the Eastern Cape, where our grandfather grew up under the tutelage of the king, where we can learn the lessons about what it is to, what is traditional leadership and how does that work. And then finally, we go to Cape Town, where he was incarcerated for 27 years, to talk about what are the lessons in each of these places that made Nelson Mandela become the man that he is. What are his values? What are his principles? What is his leadership style? And how can we inculcate the spirit of Nelson Mandela as we doing our work and we're, you know, leading our communities, leading our businesses, et cetera, et cetera. Mr. Mandela, Cheryl, again, you are also a political consultant. This is a broad question. If any one of the persons that is currently running to be the next president of the United States called upon you and said, what must I do to be the next president? What advice would you have for them or her? The first advice I would say to him is that we have to heal the nation. The nation needs healing. There have been too many, um, you know, fights, shootings, killings of innocent people, innocent black people here in America. And we in South Africa had something called the Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, process where we took the victims of apartheid together with the perpetrators to put them on the same table to discuss the atrocities of the past. In order for us to heal, we need to be able to discuss the atrocities of the past and really be able to agree on the facts. If me and you are arguing and you say, this is a table, and I say, no, this is a chair, it's going to be very difficult for us to continue and to build a better world if we don't agree on the facts of what happened in our history. So the first thing that this nation needs to do is to do a lot of healing, 
a lot of searching and really getting people to come to the same table and talk and be honest and open so that we can address these wounds that exist here in America. Um, so another thing that you've been very passionate about, sir, um, is the eradication of a deadly disease that's ravaged the, the continent of Africa as well as you know much of the world. It's um, HIV and AIDS. Um, that's right. Tell me a little bit about the work that you've done um, and the, the, what you've been able to do to encourage the UN to uh, to pay attention to this. So, um, unfortunately, both my parents died to HIV/AIDS, and so when uh, the United Nations asked me to be their global ambassador. I obviously took that up. And, uh, you know, we started in Saska during the World Cup where we went and spoke to orphanages, old age homes, but also to, you know, sex workers. We talked to, you know, high school students who talk about the importance of young people using condoms when they engage in sex and also knowing their status, you know. We, we, and then we used soccer as a sort of premise to talk about HIV-AIDS, to say do not allow HIV-AIDS to score a goal. We do not want any new deaths related to HIV-AIDS, and we do not want any new infections related to HIV-AIDS. So we use soccer, World Cup uh, 2010 in South Africa, World Cup uh, 2014 in Brazil, and of course 2018, which was in Russia, uh, going out to different communities, just really giving them information you know, a lot of people, for example, in Africa don't even know about PrEP. You know, PrEP is a new drug that you can take, usually at a, for 30 days, one pill a day, which will prevent you from getting HIV-AIDS. Um, so we've done a lot of work in different parts of the world, conscientizing people about how to protect yourself from HIV-AIDS. But more so, it's about protecting yourself, it's about protecting your dreams, it's about protecting the ones you love and really making sure that people from different sexual orientations are guarded, have protection, and have promotion of their own free will to be able to love anybody that you want. You see, we are people that believe in love, that believe in respect. I want to thank, thank you, you so much for your time this morning, so much for what you've shared with us. It's been uh, critical and important to hear. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. I look forward to meeting you all when I come to Virginia. All right, and Thank you know, when, by the time you get here, I'm gonna be up on um, I'm gonna be up on Uncle Waffles and Twins on Deck. I'm, I'm gonna download yes, them please. right now. <laughs> yes, please, <laughs> yo, my brother, safe travels while you're here and, uh, and you. abroad, and uh, you know, may his blessings be with you, sir. Thank you very much, sir. All blessings to you, brother. All Thank right. you. As I said earlier, just simply fascinating. I could have listened to him more. You can check him out on Instagram at. Indaba underscore Mandela. That's on Instagram. You can follow him. And um, I just want to thank both of them for joining me. Don't forget, check out Sanctuary Road today at the Harrison Opera House at 2.30 p.m. I will meet you there. I didn't tell you earlier, but Adam is my nephew, and he's the baritone soloist. So come. Let's have a good time, okay? A good time was had today. I thank you all for your um, listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And as always, behold the green and gold.